0: You need Indeed.
1: And away we go. Episode 283 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, April 1st. 2022. It is, yes, April Fool's Day 2022. Do not get fooled. Beware of getting fooled on this April Fool's Day 2022. Uh, This also is the birthday of Sean Taylor. So a salute to the skies on this Friday. Sean Taylor would have been 39 today. Uh this also is a day on which we can officially bury the Wizards as playing tournament contenders in the 2021-2022 NBA season. The Wizards on Thursday night officially eliminated from playing tournament contention thanks to the Atlanta Hawks beating the Cleveland Cavaliers 131-107. So the Wizards are missing the NBA playoffs for a third time in four seasons. And remember, the Wizards only made the playoffs last season due to the play-in tournament. Uh, Hello and welcome to a Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Are you ready for the weekend? Uh, I am ready for the weekend. It will be Final Four weekend, North Carolina versus Duke on Saturday night, should be epic. Uh, My kids do now have whatever the heck it was that I had. Uh, My one and a half year old daughter had a hundred plus degree fever on Thursday. That was not good. Uh, Although the kids still have their voices, so they're still yelling and screaming. My wife somehow has avoided getting whatever it is that I had. Somehow she has super immunity that I do not have. Uh, Anyway, I hope that you are well, and I hope that you are ready to talk Commanders on this Friday installment of the podcast because this show is loaded with Commanders content. Uh, Believe it or not, we have yet another Commanders scandal. Now, this doesn't mean that the Commanders are guilty, but we on Thursday had multiple reports that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which is the Congressional Committee that is investigating the commander's workplace misconduct scandal, now is examining potential financial impropriety by the team. Uh, Could this be Congress being overzealous and now going out of its way to get Dan Snyder and the team? Yeah, maybe. But could this also be Dan and his team being further exposed for their misdeeds? Uh, Yes, that very well could be the case as well. Uh, Next segment, I will discuss this latest scandal, this latest controversy for our football team, for which the scandals and controversies never stop. It really is amazing, isn't it? Uh, I have a special guest for you on this show, Eric Flack. Chief Investigative Reporter at WUSA 9. Uh, Eric and I are going to do a deep dive on the Commander's Quest for a new stadium. Uh, Eric has been breaking a bunch of stories lately on the team's quest for a new stadium. There has been quite a bit happening in the quest lately, so we'll sort through the latest and see just where things stand with Virginia, Maryland in Washington, D.C. as the potential locations for, remember, not just the Commander's next Stadium, but also new team headquarters, residential buildings, uh, retail and entertainment facilities and much more. Uh and I have plenty of actual Commanders football talk for you on the show. Uh the Commanders have the easiest schedule for the 2022 NFL regular season per NFL Analytics pioneer Warren Sharp of Sharp Football Analysis. Uh Warren uses projected win totals from Las Vegas odds makers as his methodology, which is a very good methodology, that the commanders have the easiest schedule in the 2022 NFL regular season is a big deal. I'm going to talk about this uh, later on in the show. I'm also going to talk about Cole Holcomb, uh, very interesting comments from both Commander's head coach, Ron Rivera, and Commander's general manager, Martin Mayhew, this week at the NFL's annual league meeting in Palm Beach, Florida on Cole Holcomb. Could it be that Holcomb is the Commander's answer at Mike Linebacker. Uh, We know that Bobby Wagner is not the commander's answer at Mike Linebacker. Uh, The Los Angeles Rams on Thursday agreed on a deal uh, with Wagner, who was maybe the best free agent linebacker available this offseason. Uh, The Rams get everyone, do they not? I mean, all the Rams do is sign and trade for great players, and now the Rams have themselves another quality player in Bobby Wagner. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me the Algaldi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Dr. CCB. Uh, Chase Young, who I talked about at length on Thursday show, episode 282 of comments from Ron Rivera at his press conference on Tuesday morning at the NFL's annual league meeting, writes the doctor, yet another doctor who listens to this podcast. First off, hope you feel better. Uh, traveling back from North Carolina, I was scouring Facebook while my husband was driving, and I ran across Chase Young's celebrity family feud appearance. I had never seen it, but I know it was a topic of conversation on your podcast regarding Chase missing OTA practices last year. I know this is water under the bridge now, but the family feud episode didn't air until late August. So I wonder if he truly had to miss all two weeks of OTA practices to go make that money. <laughs> Captains should be leaders and leaders lead by example. If his captaincy remains, I hope he has matured and grown to be a little more team-oriented and not just self-oriented. Don't get me wrong. I fully support players taking advantage of outside opportunities, but I think there should be an equitable balance. JBAB, JVAB has me working like I stole something, lol. So I don't always get the chance to read news or view videos in real time, hence me just running across his fast money appearance. Well, thank you for the email, Dr. CCB. Uh, JVAB, in case you don't know, stands for Joint Base Anacostia Bowling, which is in Southeast D.C. Dr. CCB doing very good work. And Dr., I do think that your stance on Chase Young missing OTA practices last offseason is perfectly reasonable. Uh, your stance mirrors my stance. And you reference something that's very key. Uh, Washington, last offseason, only had two weeks worth of OTA practices. That's it. You know, we're not talking about six weeks or four weeks or even three weeks. Two weeks, that's it. I mean, no reasonable person has a problem with Chase Young making that money, okay? We all want to make that money. But geez, two weeks, that was it. You couldn't have attended a handful of OTA practices, which aren't even in pads over a two-week stretch last offseason. And I know the OTA practices are voluntary, but I never felt like that was some ginormous ask, especially for a guy who, as Dr. CCB pointed out, was a team captain. Uh, Email from Gaston Jordan on something that I talked about last week on episode 278. And then again, with NFL agent and former Redskins salary cap analyst, J.I. Wholesale on Tuesday's show, episode 281. And that something is a potential contract extension for Terry McLaurin with the commanders. Uh, this off the Tyreek Hill mega money contract extension with his new team, the Miami Dolphins, a four-year, $120 million contract extension although the total money in that extension is a bit misleading given that a lot of the money is in the final season of the extension but writes gaston hey al longtime listener of the pod the theme music is the best and the only way i get my 4 a.m work shift started love the number system by the way well thank you gaston i'm not sure if the theme music is the best but it is something uh continues gaston my question is, why haven't the Commanders signed Terry yet? I mean, what in the world are they waiting on for another wide receiver needy team to give them a big money contract? If Ron Rivera wants Carson Wentz to succeed, my first thought if I was Ron would be to have a reliable playmaker in Terry McLaurin continue to be a staple in this offense for the foreseeable future and to maybe even add a veteran receiver or take a receiver in the upcoming NFL draft with the 11th pick. Thank you for the time and effort on the podcast. Stay brilliant and HTTC question mark, double exclamation mark. Yikes. Uh, Thank you for the email, Gaston. Uh, So I do think that the commanders signing Terry McLaurin to a contract extension this offseason is a challenge. I don't, though, think that the commanders signing Terry McLaurin to a contract extension this offseason is impossible. Uh, The commanders are just going to have to come hard and come correct with a big money offer that is enough to make Terry say yes and pass on the prospect of unrestricted free agency or being franchise tagged next offseason. However, specific to a contract extension with Terry, uh, not yet having been reached this offseason, don't worry about that. You know, we went through the same concerns with Jonathan Allen last offseason, and he ended up signing a contract extension with the team. Contract extensions often don't get done until well into the summer. The start of training camp can serve as an unofficial deadline. And as we've come to know in sports and in life, deadlines make deals. But consider when some recent big money contract extensions for Redskins slash Washington football team players have happened. Uh, The Ryan Kerrigan contract extension. The Skins and Ryan Kerrigan didn't agree on their contract extension until late July, 2015. The Trent Williams contract extension. The Skins and Trent Williams didn't agree on their contract extension until late August, 2015. The Jordan Reed contract extension. The Skins and Jordan Reed didn't agree on their contract extension until early May, 2016. Uh, The Morgan Moses contract extension. The Skins and Morgan Moses didn't agree on their contract extension until late April 2017. The Jonathan Allen contract extension. Washington and Jonathan Allen didn't agree on their contract extension until late July 2021. We're just beginning the month of April, so I wouldn't worry just yet that the commanders haven't yet agreed with Terry McLaurin on a contract extension. This offseason. As for whether Dan Snyder should be worried about this latest scandal that has popped up via Congress's involvement in the commander's workplace misconduct scandal, well, we get to that right now. There's no such thing as too much scandal slash controversy when you are the NFL team known as the Commanders. When you are our NFL team, the Commanders, there ain't no such thing as too much scandal slash controversy. Uh, The team over the last two years has had a workplace misconduct scandal that's still going on and has yielded not one, but two investigations. Uh, Massive ownership turmoil that resulted in a nasty feud between Dan Snyder and his now former minority partners. A name change saga that resulted in a new name. And now we have yet another scandal. We on Thursday had multiple reports that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, which is the Congressional Committee investigating the commander's workplace misconduct scandal, now is examining potential financial impropriety by the team. Yes, financial impropriety. Uh, This has come up via all of the documents that the committee has been going through in the workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, The details of the House Committee on Oversight and Reform's examination of potential financial impropriety by the commanders uh, first came from sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports in a piece that came out on Thursday. Multiple outlets reported that this inquiry was taking place, but it wasn't until the Front Office Sports Report came out that we got the details of the inquiry. Uh, front Office Sports reported that the crux of the investigation into potential financial impropriety by the commanders is, quote, whether the commanders used two books of financial information that paint different pictures of the team's money situation. And quote. Front Office Sports reported that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform is, quote, primed to use its subpoena power to delve into the finances of the team and donor Dan Snyder, end quote. Uh, As for some specifics, front office sports reported that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform is interested in whether the debt load that Dan Snyder has undertaken is impacting the team's finances. More on that in a bit. Front Office Sports reported that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform is interested in allegations that the commanders have used deceptive accounting practices. Per the NFL's constitution and bylaws, clubs are required to submit a certified audit report annually. Front Office Sports reported that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform is interested in allegations of pay disparity between male and female employees including bonuses. So, yeah, <laughs> we have all of this. Add all of this to the workplace misconduct scandal. Danny boy, happy Thanksgiving. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, Dan, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, now, the commanders on Thursday put out a statement to multiple media outlets, quote, the team is not aware of any investigation by the House Oversight Committee regarding financial matters, despite vague and unsubstantiated claims today by anonymous sources. The team categorically denies any suggestion of financial impropriety of any kind at any time. We adhere to strict internal processes that are consistent with industry and accounting standards, are audited annually by a globally respected independent auditing firm, and are also subject to regular audits by the NFL we continue to cooperate fully with the committee's work. End quote. Uh, look, I'm not gonna even pretend to have any idea whether Dan Snyder and the team have been guilty of all of this stuff. I mean, at this point, I don't know how you give Dan the benefit of the doubt on anything. At the same time, I'm not just gonna sit here and say, Well, Dan's guilty, team's guilty. All right, we don't know, okay? We just don't know. And it's not like you necessarily have a bunch of Einsteins in Congress, okay? So uh the potential exists for Congress uh to be getting stuff wrong, okay? I mean, like I am open to that possibility. I do though wanna note a few things beyond the obvious thing of, you know, here we go again, right? Another scandal/slash controversy with the team. Uh so first of all, regarding front office sports reporting that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform is interested in whether the debt load that Dan Snyder has undertaken is impacting the team's finances. Uh, this to me is interesting, and there's something in the report that jumped out to me in particular. So Dan Snyder in April 2021 officially bought out his disgruntled minority partners, Dwight Schar, Robert Rothman, and Fred Smith at a reported discounted price of $875 million with a reported million debt waiver for which the NFL's Finance Committee had made a special exemption. However, if you read the front office sports report from Thursday, uh, front office sports on Thursday reported that the price was $950 million, uh, not $875 million. So the discounted price that Dan paid for the minority shares of the team may not have been as discounted as had been reported. It's not exactly clear right now what the price was. But add on to all of that this. While Dan Snyder is filthy rich by normal standards, he's actually not as rich as some other richy riches out there. Uh, Dan Snyder, as of late Thursday, had a real-time net worth per Forbes of $4 billion. For comparison's sake, the Learners, who own the Nationals, uh, as of late Thursday, had a real net worth per Forbes of $4.7 billion. The Learners are richer than Dan Snyder is. Uh, one of Dan's former minority partners, Fred Smith, he, as of late Thursday, had a real-time net worth per Forbes of $5.1 billion. Uh, yeah, Fred Smith is richer than... Than Dan Snyder is. But it's not just Dan's worth. Uh, there has been a belief for a while that Dan Snyder isn't nearly as liquid as we might think. And so the idea that this debt load that Dan has undertaken might be impacting the commander's finances would jibe with this notion of Dan not being as liquid as people might think, and him needing cash flow. I mean, that would be why he got that special exemption debt waiver in the first place, right? Another thing is this, and look, no defender of Dan Snyder am I, but fair is fair, and right is right. Ask yourself this question. Where did all of these reports on Thursday come from? Have you considered that? You know, a number of outlets on Thursday reported that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform now is examining potential financial impropriety by the commanders. Uh, Whenever a major report comes out, or in this case, major reports come out, you have to ask yourself this. Who is the source for the reporting? Like, Where is the information in the reporting coming from? in terms of the sourcing. Who is the sourcing? Who is the leaker? Or who are the leakers? Well, just reading through these reports on Thursday, it sure would seem like there's at least a decent chance that the leaker, in this case, is Congress or someone or people closely affiliated with Congress, you know, we don't know if there is a singular leaker or multiple leakers, but front office sports in its report reported on what the House Committee on Oversight and Reform is quote, seeking through a series of interviews, most on the condition of anonymity for fear of retaliation or because details of the investigation have not been made public, end quote. Uh, Now look, that could mean many things, I'll grant you that, but uh, that very much could mean that the leaks are from Congress in some form, right? Uh, Doesn't sound like the leaks are coming from the commanders. Would it make much sense for the leaks to come from the commanders? Why would the commanders want it out there that the team now is being investigated for potential financial impropriety? Sure seems like this would be something that would come from team Congress, in some form. Now, for what it's worth, the House Committee on Oversight and Reform on Thursday did put out a statement to multiple media outlets. Uh, The statement did not confirm the reports. The statement did say, quote, the committee continues to investigate the hostile workplace and culture of impunity at the Washington Commanders, as well as the National Football League's inadequate response and lack of transparency. The committee will follow the facts wherever they may lead. End quote. Uh, I would say this. Nobody is putting a halo over Dan Snyder's head. Nobody is playing a violin for Dan Snyder. But it's not right for Congress to be leaking this stuff to the media. If, in fact, Congress in some form leaked this stuff to the media. And we don't know that Congress in some form leaked this stuff to the media with certainty. If Congress did not leak this stuff to the media, then forget what I'm saying. But knowing what we know about how Washington, D.C. works, knowing what we know about how Capitol Hill works, uh, there are leaks everywhere, man, okay? Like, everybody knows that. People in politics leak stuff all of the time. And if, in fact, Congress, in some form, leaked this stuff to the media about the House Committee on Oversight and Reform now investigating potential financial impropriety by the commanders, that's not right, okay? You're not supposed to be leaking stuff like that, okay? And I do think that that needs to be said. And speaking of leaks, don't ever forget this, and I can never get past this with any of this congressional stuff with the commanders. If not for the leaked Bruce Allen emails, this commander stuff with Congress would not be happening. Don't ever forget that. The hybrid roundtable this past February 3rd, that resulted in Tiffany Johnston's allegations against Dan Snyder, The second investigation in the workplace misconduct scandal that has arisen due to Johnston's allegations. The multiple documents that have made the commanders in the NFL look really bad for their handling of the workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, This apparent rift that has grown between Dan Snyder and the NFL. Now this investigation into potential financial impropriety by the commanders. None of this stuff would have ever happened if not for Congress's involvement in the workplace misconduct scandal. And Congress would have never gotten involved in the workplace misconduct scandal if not for the leaked Bruce Allen emails. Remember, the cause of Congress getting involved in this commander's workplace misconduct scandal is the reigniting of the scandal via the leaked emails from Bruce Allen during his time as a Redskins executive. The workplace misconduct scandal for all intents and purposes was over. Most people had moved on. The media certainly had moved on. Then came the leaking of the Bruce Allen emails from his time as a Redskins executive. Uh, The emails came out via multiple reports this past October. The emails ultimately cost John Gruden his job as Las Vegas Raiders head coach. And the emails also led to Congress asking questions about the workplace misconduct scandal and the NFL's handling of the matter. Now, we still don't know who leaked the Bruce Allen emails. Uh, We may never know who leaked the Bruce Allen emails. But a theory that has been out there for a while is that Dan Snyder, in fact, leaked the Bruce Allen emails, that Dan leaked the emails in an attempt to exact revenge on Bruce, as we now know that there came to be major heat between Dan and Bruce. If it's true that Dan was the leaker of the Bruce Allen emails, the very emails that led to the workplace misconduct scandal being reignited, and now to this investigation into potential financial impropriety by the team, oh, the irony, oh, the poetry of it all. That Dan Snyder himself could ultimately prove to be the creator of his own demise. Would that not be the ultimate ending to his tenure as owner of the team now known as the commanders? Uh, Now, of course, it may well be that Dan Snyder is going nowhere, right? But here we are now, yet another scandal for our football team. Potential financial impropriety. The fun never ends. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, Dan. Happy Thanksgiving. Up next, our special guest, Eric Flack, chief investigative reporter at WUSA 9. Nobody has been covering the commander's quest for a new stadium like Eric has. We'll discuss the latest in the quest and when it might finally come to a resolution. We'll get to all of that and more
0: after this.
1: Well, as is always the case, I appreciate you listening to the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, You can help out the podcast by rating and reviewing it, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts. Please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating. And also, please consider writing a one or two-cent review saying that you like the podcast. Doing those things uh, takes less than a minute. And the five-star ratings and positive reviews help to make the podcast successful. Advertisers look at the ratings and the reviews, and I thank you for doing them. Uh, So, there has been a lot going on lately in the Commander's quest for a new stadium. Uh, This is a quest that we first learned of all the way back in August 2014 via an interview that Dan Snyder did with what was then Comcast Sportsnet Mid-Atlantic and now is NBC Sports Washington. This is a quest that has taken a lot longer than it was ever supposed to take. And this is a quest with an apparent deadline as the commander's lease at FedEx Field expires in 2027. And the widespread belief is that the team very much wants to be in its new stadium by 2027 because ain't nobody got the appetite for more time at FedEx Field. Uh, that stadium may well be the least popular venue in all of major pro sports. Well, I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now, Eric Flack, Uh, chief investigative reporter at WUSA9. You can follow Eric on Twitter at Eric Flack TV. He has been breaking stories on the commander's quest for a new stadium left and right, and it's great to have Eric on. Hey, Eric, how are you?
2: Good, Al. Thanks for having me. How are you?
1: Doing well. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. Have you gotten a phone call yet from Dan Snyder uh, ordering you to stop breaking news on the commander's search for a new stadium?
2: I am in contact with the Commanders organization on a regular basis, and they are very respectful that there is a lot of interest in where the new stadium is going.
1: Ah, very well (laughs) said, very politically correct, how you articulated that. Well, let's just go through some of the stuff that's out there because there's been a lot out there lately. So all of the momentum seemingly has been with Virginia in terms of where the Commander's next stadium will be, uh, Virginia, Maryland, or Washington, D.C. But you on Tuesday reported that Virginia is looking like it will be drastically reducing its stadium financing plan for the Commanders from a billion dollars in bonds to $350 million dollars in bonds as Virginia has realized that it apparently has been bidding against itself and that public reaction to the Commander Stadium project in Virginia has been underwhelming. Is it a certainty that Virginia will be reducing the money that the state would put toward a new Commander Stadium?
2: I think it's a certainty. Uh, My sources tell me, uh, not to get too political, The person who is the architect of the bill is a a state senator named Richard Saslaw. He represents Fairfax. He was the guy who initially came out with the bill and the billion dollar price tag. There's a companion bill in the House uh, uh, by a guy named Barry Knight, also local. But not only has Saslaw, excuse me, uh, talked to his uh, fellow uh, members about reducing uh, the amount to 350 million, but uh, just a couple days ago, he was at uh, the uh, Alexandria Chamber of Commerce breakfast of some sort and again repeated that three hundred and fifty million dollars. So the, the final vote happens next week in a special session. But all indications are that they're going to slash this to three hundred and fifty million.
1: I would imagine that the Commanders are not happy about this. At the same time, as you noted, it has felt as if Virginia is bidding against itself. It does seem right now that Washington, D.C. is a total non-factor, even though that's where most fans want the Commanders' next stadium, and Maryland is a distant number two. Is that characterization of things accurate? Hey, yes and no
2: washington dc in my opinion through my reporting is a non-factor period end of story Mario bowser said we'd love to have a stadium she doesn't have the support of the council they don't control the land which is controlled by the federal government there are so many hoops to jump through in such a small amount of time my my professional opinion is that dc is out maryland really does want the stadium to stay prince george's county very very much wants the stadium to stay. They are very worried about what happens to that Landover area, uh, as economically challenged as it already is, if the commander's stadium leaves. But they're not putting up any money. They have been steadfast. Both Governor Hogan at, at, at the state level and even local uh, leaders, uh, state legislators at the Prince George's County level have, have said, we're not gonna give you any tax money, Dan Snyder, to build your football stadium. They are going to offer Dan money to help the infrastructure. You know, I know how tough it is to get in the FedEx field, how much the, the the entryways have held back FedEx field. They would not build FedEx 2.0 on that same site, but it would be very, very close. And Maryland has stepped up and said, Hey, we're going to help with development. We're going to help with roads. We're going to build a nice bridge or something like that if we need it. But, Dan, we're not going to give you any money. So a distant second, you know, I don't know. It all depends on what the commanders are looking for. If this is all about money, there's only one person offering that money. Period. End of story. If Dan Snyder wants to move to Virginia, you know, he's got three different options and $350 million. Maryland wants the stadium. The question
1: is, does the commanders want Maryland? Something else that you had on Tuesday was an anonymous state senator in Virginia saying the following, quote, public reaction to this project has been underwhelming. With every passing day, it's evident the team lacks gravity, end quote. Uh, This lack of an appetite from Virginia citizens for the state to help pay for a new Commander stadium, is that feeling more about just a general sentiment of not wanting public money to pay for sports stadiums? Or is the feeling more something that is specific to Dan Snyder, given how he's viewed and specific to the team, uh, given its lack of winning for three decades now?
2: You know, that's a great question, Al. Um, and I hate to not pick a side. If I had to pick a side, I would say it's about the money. I would say it's about the concept of asking a taxpayer do you want your tax dollars to go to a billionaire to help him build the stadium? The most recent polling in Virginia that was done on this was done in 2016 by the Virginia Chamber of Commerce, and they asked uh, Virginians two questions. One, they asked, do you want a football stadium for the Washington football team to be in in Virginia, specifically Northern Virginia? And two... Do you want to pay for it? Do you want any of your tax dollars to pay for it? Well, less than 50% even said yes to having a football stadium. Okay. 23% said they support taxpayer dollars for a football stadium. I think that governor. Yunkin got elected and said, big ideas, guys, what are we going to do? Let's get the commanders into, into Northern Virginia. Virginia needs professional sports doesn't have any professional sports minor league baseball yes but it doesn't have professional sports this was that dick saslaw state center from fairfax says i got i got you gov we're going to do this bipartisan i'm going to lead the charge and then i think the plans got out and we reported on them and other people reported on them and i think constituents might have started calling and saying guys seriously really are we going to do this and to your point Are we going to do this for the Washington Commanders, the guy who's under investigation by the NFL and by uh, Congress and the team that hasn't won in forever and the team that with the stadium where nobody goes? The other aspect of this, and it's a little inside baseball, but it's how Virginia plans to pay for this $350 million, if that's what the the number is, um, uh, payment to Dan Snyder. It's going to be done through bonds. They say it's not taxpayer money. Well, that's disingenuous because it is taxpayer money. It's future taxpayer money. The way it works is Virginia sells 350000000 million. Let's say that's the number, $350 million worth of bonds. They give it to Dan Snyder, go build your stadium. Virginia now has to make those bonds good, pay back those bonds. Well, they say we're going to do it because there's going to be future tax revenue from this stadium that we're not going to get if if there is no stadium. So we're going to take that. We're going to take that future tax revenue, again, tax dollars, and pay off the bond. Well, this state senator said, you know, with every passing day, it's evident the team lacks gravity. A lot of us have concerns that the team has the ability to stay viable for a decade or even five years. All that to say, I think some people are worried, wait, are we really going to be able to pay off this loan that we're taking out with the commanders? And I think that's a real concern right now.
1: Yeah, that was quite the quote that you got from the Virginia State Senator. Quote, a lot of us have concerns that the team has the ability to stay viable for a decade or even five years. End quote. I mean, the commanders, for all of their problems, are an NFL team. NFL teams should all be profitable from just the league's television money alone. Uh, For the state senator to question the commander's ability to stay viable, uh, what'd you make of that?
2: And I read it back to him twice and he confirmed it twice. So I didn't get the words wrong. Was he being a bit dramatic? I don't know. Um, But that state senator spoke, I believe, for a lot of people. Is it that the commanders are gonna go out of business? I don't know that he really means that. I do think, He means, are they going to bring in the money that we really think they're going to bring in? This is not, right now, the Cowboys. This is not the Patriots. This is not one of these juggernaut NFL organizations that just prints money hand over fist. You know as well as I do, that's not the state of the commanders right now. It was the state of the Washington football team back in the day when we were kids. It's not the state of them right now. We all hope, as local fans, I'm from D.C., I want them to turn it around. We all want them to turn it around. But, <laughs> you know, you keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. It's the definition of insanity. The Commanders are trying to do stuff different, for sure. But they haven't had
1: different results yet. Uh, no, they have not. Uh, we're discussing the Commanders' search for a new stadium with a man who has been all over the story, Eric Flack chief investigative reporter at WUSA 9. To what extent are FedEx Field being as despised as it is and the FedEx Field lease being up in 2027, making things harder for the commanders? In other words, to me, you could argue that the best course of action for the commanders in order to get the best deal possible for a new stadium might be to just drop the whole thing right now because the landscape sure does not seem favorable to the team. But of course, the team is desperate to get a deal for a new stadium done. Uh, how much is that desperation working against the commanders right now?
2: Well, well they're, they're out of time now. Um, it takes about five years from decision to ribbon cutting to build an NFL stadium. It takes two years for the community meetings the rezoning the 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 infrastructure stuff the the regulatory stuff and then you break ground and then you take three more years to build the stadium from soup to nuts we're at that so that's five years we're at that point right now it's 2022 i'm a journalist so i'm not great at math but 2022 plus five is 2027 so you know, if they don't sign some sort of an extension to stay at FedEx for maybe a year or two more, which let's be honest, nobody's really—that's not going to really excite anybody. Then they've got to make a decision this year. They have to, and it's—it's it's, you know, it's we're about to hit April here, and 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 so you know, it's 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 decision time, and so I think they're they're their hand they are kind of painted into a corner a little bit listen there's always wiggle room for and especially i think if they make a a, a deal for prince george's county and they decide to stay there that seems like a much easier uh, a much shorter putt so to speak to like sign a one-year extension knowing that that's kind of where your home is um i don't know how i mean I, I don't know, you know, how excited Maryland's going to be to let him stay an extra year if they're leaving him for Virginia, you know? Um, but no, I, I think, I think the clock is ticking for sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, Another item in the commander search for a new stadium that you broke is that the team has been looking at three specific potential stadium sites in Virginia. Uh, Those three sites being in Sterling, Woodbridge, and Dumfries, which some people have reacted to in horror. I mean, you'd think that Dumfries is on Mars the way that some people have reacted to the commander's new stadium potentially being. And Dumfries. But as you look at those three sites, is one of the sites more favorable than the other two sites?
2: I appreciate it. I'm going to say this is my opinion. Um, I think that two of those three sites make sense for different reasons. Um, I think Loudoun County, Sterling makes sense because I've talked to a ton of Commanders fans. You know that lay of the land here. Ashburn is already, you know, the team facilities is it's, it's not far away uh sterling makes a lot of sense I, everybody it seems like lives in loudon county these days everybody around really where do you live Loudoun County, you know uh, and, and and we're used to driving to sterling all of us are and, and i mean collectively dulles is there that that's that that's not going to be a mental block for fans Woodbridge, i don't think makes a ton of sense because it's it's like the Potomac mill site and i don't know if you've been out there i did for my reporting the site is like right in the middle of a neighborhood. It's very strange, like an existing neighborhood with like commercial retail there. And it's hard to get to. And when when you, sometimes you just trust your eyes. And when I was out there and I trusted my eyes, I was like, I don't see it. I don't see how you put a state in here. It doesn't fit. Loudoun County, Sterling, they got the Loudoun Quarry site. It fits. Um, Potomac no, Potomac Shores, I should say, which is Dumfries. It's, the development is called Potomac Shores. I think it makes sense in a way that fans just don't understand yet. Um, if you dig into the data, and we are doing this, Virginia is where the commanders most support is, fan base. ones. They have fans and season ticket holders in Tidewater. They have fans and season ticket holders in Richmond. I asked Fanatics, the, the online company where you get the merch, you know, where everybody gets it on their phone. Where do, have you sold the most commander stuff? Washington was first. Baltimore was second. Richmond was third. So, you know, the idea that if they put a stadium complex in in Potomac Shores and Dumfries, that they're moving to Mars, as you correctly kind of surmised. Um they are. They are. If you live in Maryland, but they're also moving closer to a lot of their core fan base at this point in their journey. And if you also go out there and you trust your eyes, their space, their space. I mean, they don't just want to build a, a a a stadium. They want retail. They want a convention center. They want a fourteen thousand seat uh, amphitheater. They want nightlife. They want kids um, shopping. They want a a true destination from the destination standpoint, Potomac Shores and Dumfries actually makes the most sense. Um, and you know, VRE is opening a station, Virginia railroad expressway is opening a station, um, later on this year. So now you kind of got a train. I really don't know much about how great a service VRE is, but you know, you know, when you talk about the 49ers, And they moved all the way to Santa Clara, which is an equidistant amount of time away from San Francisco.
1: I don't know. It's not
2: as outlandish as you
1: think. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm glad that you said what you said, because I do think that the reaction to the commander's next stadium potentially being in Dumfries, Virginia, has been way over the top. And I say this as someone who lives in Montgomery County, Maryland, but, you know, there is this like elitist, immediate Washington, D.C. area attitude toward Dumfries. I mean, is Dumfries far away if you live in the immediate D.C. area? Yeah, but not everyone lives in the immediate D.C. area. And given that Virginia has been the strongest state slash city out of Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. in terms of Commanders fans, given how transient D.C. is, and given how Maryland seemingly is containing more and more Baltimore Ravens fans these days, might it make sense from a business standpoint for the Commanders to further cultivate Virginia and even areas further south. I mean, there still are Commanders fans in North Carolina.
2: Yeah, let's, you and all your listeners, let's close our eyes and think about the map of the NFL right now. You know, you go Washington, Baltimore has a team, Philadelphia, (laughs) New York has two. Okay, that's to the north. Now let's go south. Nothing, nothing, nothing the Charlotte Panthers, which are on the border of South Carolina. If you know, I mean, they are not north of North Carolina. They're all the way to the southern border of, 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 of North Carolina and uh, South Carolina. And then you have the Falcons. That's an untapped market. You know, if I have a popsicle stand, do I want to set up my popsicle stand next to your popsicle stand Al, or do I want to set up my popsicle stand two blocks away? So maybe those people can buy popsicles for me and they don't, they're not tempted by your popsicles, you know? So again, if you just, if you take the emotion out of it and you think and remind yourself, this is a business. Well, business wise, Northern Virginia and even Dumfries aren't ridiculous. They just aren't.
1: Exit question. uh, Covering the commander certs for a new stadium, as you have, will the team have a deal for a new stadium in place by the end of this calendar year?
2: This is a question I need to press the team on, and I'm going to do it soon. Um, I think they're going to sign some sort of an agreement. What you do is you signed a memorandum of an agreement with the local community and said, hey, we want to do this here. But then the either the Loudoun County Board of Supervisors or the Prince William County Board of Supervisors, which is where Woodbridge and and, um, and Dumfries are, or the, you know the Prince Prince George's County Board of you know Supervisors has to then vote to rezone the land. Right, you don't just build a stadium land is zoned for certain use and that vote represents the will of the people do the people of whatever community commanders choose want that stadium there and you know do they or do they oppose it to the to the extent that there are meetings where everybody holds commanders no commanders stadium signs and it turns into a big thing so there's a couple steps they have to decide and then the local government have to get, the local county government has to give its seal of approval too. Um, I think the first thing happens this year. I think they decide on a, on a site sometime this year. I think the the next step, the local approval and all the regulatory stuff, could extend into twenty twenty three. The question is whether the commanders are going to know and t- have backroom conversations and know that this deal. This site, wherever they choose, is going to eventually get approval because that's going to be key. They are not going to want a public you know, fight over a site they choose and the community saying, no way.
1: Yes, uh, the team has had enough off-the-field fights in recent years, no doubt about that. Uh, Eric, continued success, man, and thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for coming on and all the best to you. Thanks, Al. All right. So there are many things that factor into whether an NFL team has a good season. Uh, Perhaps the factor that never gets enough attention is strength of schedule. Uh, How difficult an NFL team's schedule is matters a lot. Uh, The NFL regular season is a tiny sample size. I mean, even now that the NFL regular season has expanded, we're only talking about 17 games. Uh, Each NBA and NHL team's regular season is 82 games. Each MLB teams regular season is 162 games. Each NFL teams regular season is just 17 games. That old line from Bill Parcells of you are what your record says you are. Uh sounds great and sounds tough, but isn't always true. Uh in the tiny sample that is an NFL teams regular season, a number of things can make a big difference. And one of those things is strength of schedule, who you play, and also when you play, who you play. Now, that latter part makes determining strength of schedule tricky because playing a good team with a healthy stud quarterback is different than playing that same good team when that stud quarterback is out due to injury. But strength of schedule is a big deal. And so consider what came out on Thursday NFL analytics pioneer Warren Sharp of Sharp Football Analysis on Thursday came out with his NFL strength of schedule rankings for the 2022 regular season. We don't yet know NFL teams' schedules for the 2022 regular season, but we do know teams' opponents for the 2022 regular season. Now, you might say, hey, determining in late March which teams are going to be good and which teams are going to be bad in an NFL regular season that is five months away is ridiculous. To say nothing of how the NFL is a week-to-week league, and you're not wrong to think these things, but Warren Sharp does his strength of schedule rankings for upcoming seasons based on projected win totals from Las Vegas oddsmakers. Uh, Sharp doesn't use some analytics formula. He certainly doesn't just go by team's one loss records from the previous regular season. He uses what is, to me, the best thing out there in an offseason for determining how good an NFL team should be in its upcoming regular season, the team's Vegas win total. Now, what exactly Sharp's methodology is, is unclear. He only says that he uses projected win totals from Vegas oddsmakers. Uh, As you likely know, there are many Vegas oddsmakers. I'm guessing that Sharp is going off an average of win totals from a variety of Vegas oddsmakers. But here's the biggest takeaway for us as Commanders fans from Warren Sharp's NFL strength of schedule rankings for the 2022 regular season. He ranks the Commanders as having the easiest schedule in the NFL for the 2022 regular season. Uh, Now, this isn't shocking. Uh, It has been believed since the end of last season that the Commanders would have a much easier schedule in the 2022 regular season as compared to what the team had in the 2021 regular season. But how about that? The Commanders per projected win totals from Vegas oddsmakers have the easiest schedule in the NFL for the 2022 regular season. And this contrasts greatly with what we had this past season. Washington, for the 2021 regular season, had the hardest schedule in the NFL per football outsiders DVOA metric based on the average team DVOA of Washington's opponents. The best way to assess NFL strength of schedule after the schedule has been played is via an advanced stat like DVOA the best way to assess NFL strength of schedule prior to the schedule being played is through projected win totals from Vegas Oddsmakers. So the commanders are going from having the hardest schedule in the NFL for the 2021 regular season per DVOA to having the easiest schedule in the NFL for the 2022 regular season for projected win totals from Vegas Oddsmakers. Uh, This is a big deal. I mean, this is a massive development. And when we talk about what kind of a season that we should expect the commanders to have in 2022, uh, what Rod Rivera has made quite clear needs to be a step forward season, that the commanders are poised to have an easy schedule may mean more than anything else. You know, for all of the talk about Carson Wentz, the commanders having the easiest schedule in the NFL for the 2022 regular season, may well be the most significant item for the Commanders this offseason. Uh, Warren Sharp on Thursday put out a tweet discussing the Commanders. "Quote: Last year, Washington played the number one toughest schedule in the NFL. This year, the number one easiest schedule. Last year, two and seven versus playoff teams. Two and nine versus teams top fifteen in efficiency." but 5-3 versus non-playoff teams, 5-1 versus teams' bottom 15 in efficiency. An easier schedule should help massively. End quote. So how about all of that? All of that captures quite clearly how Washington last season struggled against good teams, but did well against lesser teams. And The Commanders in the 2022 regular season will be facing plenty of teams projected to be lesser teams. Uh, The Commanders 17 games in the 2022 regular season will feature six NFC East games, right? two games against each of the other three teams in the division, the Dallas Cowboys, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the New York Giants, four games against teams in the NFC North, the Green Bay Packers, the Minnesota Vikings, the Chicago Bears, and the Detroit Lions. Four games against teams in the AFC South, the Tennessee Titans, the Indianapolis Colts, the Houston Texans, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then games against the San Francisco 49ers, the Atlanta Falcons, and the Cleveland Browns. So as things stand now, the commanders in the 2022 regular season are not scheduled to face anything close to the murderers row of quarterbacks that the team faced in the 2021 regular season. Now, there certainly are some good quarterbacks on the Commanders schedule for the 2022 regular season, no doubt. I mean, Dak Prescott twice, Aaron Rodgers. Uh but consider for a moment the Browns. You know, depending on when the Commanders play the Browns, the Commanders may avoid Deshaun Watson uh if he in fact gets suspended. Washington in the 2021 regular season went 7-10, and despite facing the toughest schedule in the NFL per DVOA, despite a truckload of injuries on offense, despite a major COVID outbreak late in the season, and despite the defense being a mess during a 2-6 and start. It's not unreasonable to think that the commanders in the 2022 regular season could win, say, nine or 10 games, given that the schedule appears, and I stress that word, appears, to be much easier, and given that it would seem highly unlikely that the team will have as much bad injury luck on offense as the team had last season, uh, to say nothing of COVID appearing to no longer be a concern. I mean, look, if Carson Wentz is a total flop, then all bets are off. But if he's just decent, he could be quarterbacking a commander's team that makes the playoffs next season. I do believe that. And a lot of that could have to do with an easier schedule and some better luck. So if I ask you, who are the most prominent commander's players worthy of contract extensions this offseason, what do you say? Uh, chances are that you say Terry McLaurin and Deron Payne, right? And you're not necessarily wrong to say Terry McLaurin and Duran Payne, but the truth is there is a third prominent Commanders player who is worthy of a contract extension this offseason, and that player is Cole Holcomb. Uh, we have heard a ton already this offseason about the need for the Commanders to sign Terry McLaurin to a contract extension. We have heard a good bit this offseason about the Commanders potentially signing Duran Payne to a contract extension. But for whatever reason we have not heard nearly as much about a potential contract extension for Cole Holcomb. Uh well, we should be hearing about a potential contract extension for Holcomb because he pretty clearly is someone who is valued highly by the team. Uh the 2022 season will be Holcomb's age 26 season and the fourth and final season of his rookie contract. Uh Washington took Holcomb in the 5th round of the 2019 NFL draft out of North Carolina. Uh, Holcomb was very much a Jake Gruden pick, in case you don't know. Uh, Holcomb certainly is not a great linebacker, but I do think that he's a pretty good linebacker. And there were two things that stood out regarding him at this week's annual league meeting in Palm Beach, Florida. One is that the commanders now view Cole Holcomb as their potential answer At Mike linebacker. Uh, The other thing that stood out regarding Holcomb at this week's annual league meeting is that Ron Rivera in his press conference on Tuesday morning raved about Holcomb. So before Ron did his presser on Tuesday morning, the general manager of the commanders, Martin Mayhew, spoke to reporters on Monday. And Martin said that Holcomb could be the team's Mike linebacker. "Quote: We feel like Cole Holcomb has a chance to go in there and play Mike for us so there's not a tremendous urgency to go and do something right there. He did a good job when he was in there. He kind of grew in that position last year when he got an opportunity to play some Mike. We'll see how it plays out. Cole's an option for us. End quote. Then this was Ron Rivera on Tuesday morning on what Martin Mayhew said the previous day about Cole Holcomb.
2: We've had a real good evaluation um, of of our personnel, and one of the things we did talk about was Cole and Cole's development and the things they're going and how they're going. Um, I feel really good about what he's done, and um, we're very excited about Cole's future for us. We really
1: are. All right, so how about that from Ron Rivera on Tuesday morning on Cole Hokum? Gushing praise from Ron on Holcomb quote I feel really good about what he's done we're very excited about Cole's future for us we really are and quote now if you're confused by this uh you're not alone uh, I was confused too we late in the 2021 regular season saw a good bit of David Mayo playing middle linebacker or mike linebacker for Washington uh Mayo in the 56 14 lost at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football in Week 16, played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps. What a lovely night that was. Uh, And Mayo in the next game, the 2016 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 17, played on 66% of Washington's defensive snaps. Jamin Davis in that game played on just 21% of Washington's Defensive snaps. So, Mayo in that game played on a total of 40 defensive snaps. Davis in that game played on a total of just 13 defensive snaps. And this wasn't, you know, week one or two of the 2021 season. This was week 17 of the 2021 season. And so, that game, more than any other game last season, really sounded alarm bells about what the heck was going on with Jamin Davis. I mean, Washington, of course, spent the number 19 pick in the 2021 NFL draft on Jamin Davis with the idea of him being the team's Mike linebacker. And yet in week 17 of his rookie season, his total of defensive snaps was more than tripled by the total of defensive snaps for David Mayo. All due respect to David Mayo, but he is a journeyman linebacker. Uh, Rod Rivera, in his day after the game Zoom press conference on January third, noted that Mayo in that loss to the Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 17 did well. As Washington's Mike linebacker Ron noted that Mayo playing the Mike freed up Cole Holcomb to make plays, and Ron reiterated this at his season-ending joint press conference with Martin Mayhew on January 11th. Now, also during these press conferences, was Ron indicating, if not outright saying? that Jamin Davis probably was best suited as an outside linebacker, not the middle linebacker. And when I say outside linebacker, I'm talking about outside backer in a 4-3 alignment, uh, not an outside backer in a 3-4 alignment. An outside backer in a 3-4 alignment is an edge defender. But the point is, the thinking had been that Ron Rivera had settled on Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis as outside linebackers and that the search was back on for a Mike linebacker, although the team notably did sign David Mayo to a contract extension early this offseason. Uh, Washington, on January 28th, announced the re-signing of Mayo to a contract extension. Now, the extension is just a one-year deal, uh, but Mayo had been set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. But yeah, uh, we now have gone from Cole Holcomb not really being a candidate to be the Mike linebacker to being the top candidate to be the Mike linebacker. Here was Ron Rivera on Tuesday morning on if he has, in fact, changed his mind on Holcomb since the end of this past season.
2: Yes, since the season's been over... Sitting now with the defensive coaches, listening to them talk about where we are with our personnel, what we're looking for. Um, he's a guy that we really are pleased. We really are. You look at the way he played down the stretch. You look at the way he did now. He did get COVID and get sick, and you know that, that kind of whacked him a little bit. But when we had a chance to really say, hey, look at what he's done, look at how he's developed, that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, so more significant praise right there from Rod Rivera of Cole Holcomb. Uh, Holcomb in the 2021 regular season played in 16 of Washington's 17 games and was number two on Washington in defensive snaps at 92.23. He did not play in that uh, wonderful 56-14 loss at the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football in week 16 due to being on the reserve COVID-19 list. But how about this? Holcomb played on every Washington defensive snap in every game in which he played in the 2021 regular season, except one, a Holcomb in the 34-30 win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four played on 83% of Washington's defensive snaps due to suffering a shoulder injury. But he, in each of his other 15 games last season, played on 100% of Washington's Defensive snaps. Uh, Now, Holcomb for the 2021 regular season did have an overall grade for pro football focus of just 56.7, but Holcomb for the 2021 regular season was number one on Washington in tackles at 142. He, for the 2021 regular season, was tied for number two on Washington with two interceptions, including a fourth quarter 31-yard pick six in the 27-20 loss to the Cowboys. At FedEx Field in Week 14, and Holcomb for the 2021 regular season, it was number four on Washington with seven pass defenses. Uh, Now Holcomb in the 2020 regular season did miss a good bit of time. He played in just 11 of Washington's 16 games. Uh, Holcomb in the 2020 regular season missed four consecutive games due to a knee injury, then missed another game due to a concussion. But he for the 2020 regular season had an overall grade for Pro Football Focus of 72. Again. Cole Holcomb is not a great linebacker, but he is fast. He is a good tackler. And Ron Rivera seems to like Holcomb a lot. In fact, it was Cole Holcomb who Ron brought up the first time that he, as Washington head coach, brought up the concept of, wait for it, position flex.
2: Position flex.
1: Yes, Ron. Position flex. I remember this. Uh, Ron in the 2020 offseason, brought up position flex for the first time as Washington head coach, and he mentioned Cole Holcomb as a guy who offered position flex. Uh, Obviously, the commanders have not added uh, many new players this offseason. A lot of people have been wondering what's going on at linebacker, which has been an apparent need for the team For years now, well, part of all of this, I believe, is that the team recognizes that because it has at least five defensive backs on the field so often, there isn't the screaming need for three starting caliber linebackers that some might think exists. The truth is this whole thing about the commanders being in dire need of a Mike linebacker is a bit overrated. Uh, The team so often has four down linemen, two linebackers, and five defensive backs, on the field. Heck, we've even seen the team go with five down linemen, one linebacker, and five defensive backs on the field. Remember, in today's NFL, nickel is the base. Forget about 4-3 versus 3-4. Nickel is the true base defense for every team in the NFL right now. But another reason why the commanders have done so little at linebacker this offseason is that they seem to think that they already have their answer at Mike linebacker, And Cole Holcomb. And so, especially considering that Holcomb probably isn't commanding some sky-high price, uh, don't be surprised if Holcomb signs a contract extension with the commanders before Terry McLaurin and Deron Payne sign extensions with the team. All right, quick college basketball item. Maryland big man Kudis Wahab is entering the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, Second consecutive year that he has done this, as he last year transferred from Georgetown to Maryland. Uh, Wahab had a very disappointing season for the Terrapins, who of course now have a new head coach in Kevin Willard. Uh, Wahab would have to sit out a year because they're only allowed to transfer Without sitting out a year just once. And uh, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 284, will feature plenty on the Commanders with whatever comes up over the next few days. Uh, remember, I talk Commanders on every installment of this podcast. Also on Monday's show, I'll discuss the rest of our Washington, D.C. sports weekend. The Capitals will host the Minnesota Wild Sunday night at 7. The Wizards, now eliminated from even play-in tournament contention, will host the Dallas Mavericks Friday night at 7 and will be at the Boston Celtics Sunday afternoon at 1. And I'll hit on anything significant that comes up at Nationals and Orioles spring trainings with opening day on April 7th now less than a week away uh, we did have some Nationals news on Thursday uh, two injuries have popped up for the Nats. Starting pitcher Eric Fetty was scratched from his scheduled exhibition game start against the New York Mets on Thursday evening due to tightness in his right side uh, and utility man A. Ray Adrianza suffered a quadriceps injury in the game. Uh, Also, Nats manager Davey Martinez earlier on Thursday essentially said that Victor Robles is the Nats starting center fielder and Lane Thomas is the Nats' starting left fielder. Uh, That's notable given Robles' struggles this exhibition season off his struggles the past two seasons. Uh, meantime, Orioles manager Brandon Hyde on Thursday morning confirmed what most had thought John Means will be the Orioles' opening day starter. Uh, not like there were many other realistic options for the O's. You know, the O's right now only have two rotation spots, set. those for Means and free agent acquisition Jordan Lyles. Uh, it is looking like reliever Tyler Wells is being transitioned to a starting pitcher, but also like he'll be making 10, Random starts with someone else as opposed to having his own spot in the rotation. Whose pitching will be worse this coming season? The Nats pitching or the Orioles pitching? Uh, There's a question for you. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody.
2: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.